Uh, my name is Ryan, if I haven't met you yet, and I serve in the youth ministry here, and it's a privilege to get to also serve in this way as we enter into our season and celebration of Advent. So today marks the beginning of this season, as you've heard, and um, I love being able to walk into the church and, and see all the Christmas decorations. Props to all of you who made that look so beautiful out there. And as we enter into this season, um, we focus on themes like love and joy and peace and hope. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about love and joy. But this morning, we're focused on peace. And as I've been prepping and praying for this time, I come with an expectation that we have an invitation to see and experience the God of peace, who invites us to live into him who is peace, so that we can live out the story of peace he's writing for all of human history. And before we get into our focus of peace, I want to just talk about the beauty we have in this practice of Advent that we celebrate as a church together. Now, you might be hearing that word, and for, depending on your background, um, you might be thinking of different things. For some of you, um, when you hear that word Advent, it refers to the calendar with little sweet treats that help you lead up to the day of Christmas with anticipation. Others of you grew up in a liturgical tradition, so um, that word means that there's this very focused season of symbols and practices that are part of your worship experience in this season. Others of us have grown up in the church and have maybe had teachings on Advent or not, and then some of you might be even just brand new to church in general and like, what does that word even mean? The word Advent means coming or arrival, and we use that word to re refer to the arrival of Jesus on earth as a baby. And this season of Advent begins, obviously, before Christmas, and so there's this marked time when it begins and when Christmas happens, where in the in-between, we kind of have this anticipation. But what are we anticipating? I don't know if you've ever thought of that. If you've ever been in church and, and experienced this season, you maybe have asked that question, what is it exactly that we're anticipating in this season? Are we pretending that Jesus didn't come and so we're just kind of like waiting in this uh, season and then on Christmas we're like, yeah, he finally did come. That would be kind of weird if that's how we were using this season for anticipation. Advent is both a season of remembrance and anticipation, and we remember that Jesus did come. And for that, we celebrate because we live in the age when he did come, praise God. And not only that, we remember why he had to come in the first place, that we were 100% in need of a Savior. But it also um, is a season of anticipation, and the Bible talks about this thing called the second advent or the second arrival of Jesus. And so this season reminds us that we live sort of in this waiting period for him to come back again as our coming king. When, when he does, all mankind will be judged. He'll conquer the kingdom of darkness. The curse will be removed. Death will be defeated. Paradise will be restored. And he'll institute his reign in the new heaven and new earth. And so in this season of Advent, it serves us as God's people in several ways. One is as we remember, it generates thankfulness that Jesus did come. But it also reminds us that until he comes back, we're not going to ever feel fully at home here on this earth. And as I was reflecting on this season too, I thought, gosh, there has been and continues to be this united practice as the church of waiting and seeking God to fulfill that promise of him coming back. And so when we celebrate Advent, think about this, we are joining in that time of waiting shared by Christians throughout human history. And all over the world, even today, 
Christ's church is turning their attention to this celebration in one way or the other. Consider the various traditions being like a global chorus who's singing the same song, which is Jesus has come and he will come. And so for that, we celebrate and we anticipate. I think that's beautiful because while there might be many things dividing us, we have in this season as a church an opportunity to have great unity as we join together to celebrate the story of God. What a picture of the glory of God. There's a kind of wholeness that's reflected here in the piece that we're going to be talking about this morning. And so as we join this global choir, our song today is one of peace. And as we learn how to sing this song of peace, it's my prayer that we see and experience the God of peace, that we, who invites us to live into him who is peace, so that we live out the story of peace that he is writing for all of human history. You might be wondering, well, how are we going to tackle such a broad topic as peace? I mean, come on, peace is mentioned 252 times in 231 verses. So let me just say, this is by no means an all-encompassing discussion on this topic of peace. But what we will talk about this morning, and uh, to help you follow along, are peace in sort of five words. Peace as a need, peace as a word, peace as a person, peace as a story, and peace as a practice. So let's pray as we get into it this morning. Jesus, we thank you that, God, you are peace. God, in you there is wholeness and there is life. And so, Lord, we invite you into this time. Would you come and have your way in our hearts and our minds as we turn our attention to you? Would you be speaking to us, drawing us into all of who you are? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to open with a question before we get into our discussion. We often do this at youth group because we realize that oftentimes we come into spaces like this in a variety of different ways. Some of us are maybe feeling a bit detached or some of us are unsettled and not all of us are living from the deep places of who we are and who God is. And it's because we're hurried, as we've talked about already this morning. We're rushed, we're exposed to so much. And so um, we come into spaces like this maybe having lost track of ourselves a bit. And a good question can reorient us and, so, and help us get on track for where we're going. So our question this morning to ponder is this. When is the last time you experienced peace? What were the conditions and qualities of that peace? How long did it last? I want us to just again pause and have some time to answer that question. And use this time too to pray and ask God to help bring to mind the last time you experienced peace. Hopefully you've thought of something. It's sometimes just good to sit in stillness. Well, peace is first a need. And we see peace as a universal need and a universal desire that we all have. We can see this in a variety of ways. A few examples of that first is in the example of war. We see the nations who are in conflict and in fighting. Some of you have even lived through the experience of war. Others of you see it in the news and the example of Ukraine and Israel and Sudan. 
People are dying horrific deaths, many apart from knowing Christ, and this is an absolute tragedy. Therefore, we know our world needs peace. We see it in the example of injustice, uh, which still plagues our world today. The U.S. Department um, estimates that around 24.9 million people are trapped in forced labor conditions worldwide at any given time. We see that our world needs restoration. Our world needs peace. We see it in the example of disasters where from earthquakes or flooding, tsunamis, tornadoes, hurricanes, uh, they're wreaking havoc on our world today. In Montana, we have wildfires, which many of you have experienced or at least know somebody who has had an experience with a wildfire. But in the West, there's this thing called hurry. Maybe you are familiar with it because you are living in that reality. But in the West, we love productivity. We love progress, which is a great thing. But we love it so much, and sometimes we get so obsessed with it that we hurry along to make sure that we're always producing something. And that has us in the West more hurried than ever. In 1930, there was a British economist who predicted that through technological innovation, our work would be so efficient that the average work week would be reduced to just 15 hours. The first service laughed at that because it is laughable. Um, Or maybe it's sad. Honestly, it's sad to me because quite the opposite has happened. With smartphones and computers, uh, many of us feel like we're never off the clock. We could always be responding to emails, always catching up or getting ahead, and ultimately always connected. We have the ability to be connected to a massive amount of information, which often contributes to our souls feeling overwhelmed, unable to keep up with it all and sometimes even disconnected from the very people who are around us. And therefore, because we experience this inner turmoil, we look for peace and substances or spirituality or entertainment or other pleasures, we feel the need for our inner hurried world to have peace. We see it also in the example of relationships. There's this complex thing called relationships, whether it's family or friends, coworkers, classmates or neighbors, we encounter the difficulty of living with imperfect people. And we experience or we contribute to relational dysfunction, hurt, conflict, maybe even abuse. And we feel the need for peace when it comes to relationships. Even in our finances, managing our financial resources can bring up all sorts of insecurities like, will I have enough to survive or do I have enough to make me significant in the world? And there are even companies out there selling you peace of mind when it comes to managing your money. Even recently, the YMCA in Missoula had on their sign, peace in love, as if to say, we're not there yet and we got to keep going. But I don't need to tell you all that. You already know it, you already see it, you already feel it. When we pay attention to the world that we are living in, it's abundantly clear we're in need of peace. And the world longs for this and has been making attempts for this since the very beginning because peace is a universal need and desire. But you might think, well, why does it then feel so far off? Why is peace such an unrealistic possibility? Why does it seem elusive or improbable or just too much work or only comes by chance or when it comes, it's just so fleeting? And sometimes the chaos in our external world or the chaos in our internal world can cause us to conclude that peace is just impossible. And so what's the point? And we live into that reality or we live from that decision to believe that. But if God himself is peace, 
and his goal for the world is for peace, what seems to be the problem? I'm going to suggest that there's a much bigger narrative going on that will give us insight, and the Bible is a great help with that narrative. So next we're going to look about at the Bible and what it says about peace. We're going to look both into how the Bible defines the word peace and explore examples in the Bible where we can see examples of peace. And this would be a good time for me to say in preparation for today, I'm using many sources for helps, one of which is called the Bible Project. You may be familiar with it. Um, they're a great resource and tool, and their goal is to help bring understanding to the story of Scripture. So if you're looking to do deeper dives into the Bible, check out the Bible Project. So speaking of the Bible, let's get into it. Peace is not just a word, or excuse me, peace is not just a need. Peace is also a word. But you might be wondering, what kind of word? Is peace a noun or is it a verb? Is it referring to external or internal? Is it a state of being? Is it a temporary experience? And the answer is yes. It's a complex word, and it's packed with rich meaning. When we use the word peace today in our world, we're often referring to that quick moment of silence or stillness in the midst of our chaotic world. Or we can refer to it as the absence of conflict and the example of a peace treaty or a time of peace. But there are two words that are used for peace in the Bible. In Hebrew, it's the word shalom. In Greek, it's the word irene. And shalom is a word that doesn't just note absence, but it points to something better in its place. It notes something that's complete or whole, like a windshield with no cracks. The winter in Montana often leads to a lot of windshields having a lack of shalom. The peace is something that's complete or whole. And this is so important for us as we consider how to live into and from a place of peace. But peace is also a verb. You can use it to describe making something complete or bringing restoration. We see this in the example when Solomon brings shalom to the temple when he completes it in 1 Kings 9.25. Peace can also refer to reconciliation or to make something right when it comes to a relationship. Proverbs 16.7 teaches us this. It says to heal or reconcile a broken relationship is to bring shalom. But it can also be talking about a person's state of being. David, when he visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. So in summary, peace is something very complex, but it refers to something in a state of wholeness, or completeness. But peace isn't just a need. It's not just a feeling, a word, or concept. Peace is a person, and his name is Jesus. And so next we're going to look at the example of peace that we see in the person of God. Now with our definition of peace established, let's now think, what would the opposite of peace be? What would the opposite of something that's complete and ordered and absent of conflict be? As I thought about this question, the word that came to my mind was chaos. Chaos is the opposite of peace. And as I thought about examples of chaos, the first thing that came to my mind was the Costco parking lot on a weekend. And I don't know if you've experienced this before, but I struggled to live from deep shalom as I'm navigating the very unpredictable nature of that parking lot when it's full, because I'm always having to pay attention and ask the question, who here is paying attention to their surroundings and who definitely is not? And you kind of got to keep your head on a swivel because there's, uh, there's people in both crowds. 
But a more serious example of chaos I thought about was the example of war. And those who live in that type of chaos live in this unpredictable, unordered world. And and putting myself in their shoes, my stomach just ties up into knots and I just want to move away from a chaos like that. For many of us, when we think of something chaotic, it similarly brings up feelings of discomfort, dread, or fear, which would cause many of us to also similarly want to move away, or at the very least, just freeze. However, the first picture of God is one who hovers over the chaos. We read this from Genesis 1-2, when it says that the world was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Hebrew phrase for without form and void is tohu vavohu, which essentially means chaotic emptiness. But God doesn't just not only hover over the chaos, he actually moves into the chaos as we read later in the Genesis account. And not only does he move into it, he orders out of it and he creates out of it, bringing something whole and perfect out of the chaos. So our first glimpse in the Bible of the God of Shalom is this moment where he steps into creation and he sets it right. We see later in the New Testament, Jesus steps into a chaotic and disordered world. John 1.14 notes this, so the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full or complete with grace and truth. Jesus comes as the one who is full, not lacking, whole, perfectly in balance, He's ordered and purposeful, no cracks. Jesus came as perfect peace. And his mission wasn't just to stop evil. He was actually interested in restoring the world from all that had been taken from it. And we see this in the examples given to us by our gospel writers who note that Jesus healed the sick and he cast out demons and he raised dead, dead people to life. And so where there was death and brokenness, Jesus was bringing wholeness in life again. Jesus wasn't only whole himself, he was bringing back the world into wholeness. Shalom isn't just about the absence of something like sickness or injustice, hate or abuse, it's about the presence of someone. And when Jesus came, some were still disappointed because he didn't do things immediately. He didn't immediately deal with all the oppression that was hindering external peace for the people at that time. He didn't heal everybody's physical ailments. His peace to some seemed obscure or small or not significant enough to warrant him being the Messiah. But from the beginning to the end, there's a whole story that in this season of Advent, we're tuning into. And it's the story of the God of peace who has created and ordered and is redeeming the world. We've been talking a lot over the past weeks in our series, A Better Story, about the story that we are tuning into. And it's so important for us to know this whole story because that is key to us having this understanding and experience with the Jesus who is peace. And so I want to share with you a time where I recently experienced a better story about peace. Peace is a need, peace is a word, peace is a person, and now we're going to look at how it's also a story. 
For me, my story begins with a reflection on this word itself, that if I'm saying it without context, you're not sure, do I mean P-I-E-C-E or P-E-A-C-E? See, it can mean two different things. In full confession, I often treat peace like it's a little peace. Now, if you weren't looking up here, you have no idea what I just meant, but I treat peace like it's a little peace. I think of it like this small little portion, a little snack for me to have when I'm having a moment where I'm feeling out of order or chaotic or just discouraged. And it's very utilitarian for me to treat God in this way. Like if I'm experiencing this challenge, I I come to him as if he's my distributor of this little portion of the thing that I need to help me cope with that moment. And I'm wondering if you can relate in any way. Recently, I had an experience, though, that helped me tap into the much fuller picture of what peace is. My wife and I like to take Sabbaths every week to rest and delight in God. Now, let me time out in case you're like, wow, super spiritual. These have been far from perfect times doing that. And just this recent um, past month, one of these Sabbaths is another example of that. We had slept in and had a slow start to the day. It was great. We were off to a great start. Very restful. Very nice. Until I looked at the clock. And then I was like, "Uh uh-oh. We're halfway through the day. And you know what happened? Uh, I started to become restless. My restlessness kicked in. And I was worried that the day was going to be over pretty soon and that I wasn't going to be able to experience all the peace that I came into this day needing so badly. And so my scarcity mentality kicked in and I was like, I need more. My time is running out. Or where I'm from, we say it like this, we got to get while the getting's good. Basically, I needed my portion of peace while I still had the chance. And you know, when we talk about Sabbath, sometimes um, we give this false picture of reality that once I get to the day of rest, it's like pushing a button and I just float into rest and delight in the Lord. How nice. But a more true picture of what I experience is that as I slow down my life and my pace, there's more of me that seems to bubble up, that I come face to face with. And to be Truly honest, I don't like the dysfunctional parts of me that come up on my Sabbath. Restlessness is just one of the many things that comes up for me during Sabbaths. But we eventually did get out. We went for a hike in the mountains. And we decided for the first part of our hike, we were just going to do it in silence. And that is where the Lord met me, was in the silence. So gracious. He brought to mind truths that brought me from restlessness into a place of peace. Now, these were not things I had been thinking about or reading about. And so as they were flowing in my mind, I was like, where is this coming from? It was as if a river just began to deposit truth after truth that was settling my soul and giving me exactly what I needed in that moment. So that as I hiked and took in all the sights and the sounds and the smells of the earth, I just was repeating these phrases over and over again as the gift that they were. Can I read them over to you as an invitation to invite peace here with us this morning? Sometimes in order to receive, it's best to posture ourselves outwardly to reflect what's going on inwardly. So if you even want to just open your hands as I read these over you or close your eyes to help you focus on these truths that God was so gracious to give me on this hike. The first phrase was, the world has been created with purpose and order of which you are a part. The world has been created 
with purpose and order of which you are a part. The world has seasons and rhythms which you get to join. The world has seasons and rhythms which you get to join. God has a redemptive plan for creation which you get to see. God has a redemptive plan for creation which you will get to see. Jesus is central to the order and the purpose, holding together all creation in season and in rhythm, and is and will redeem it to its full potential. Do you feel that sense of peace meeting you as you reflect on these truths? For me, as I was reflecting on them, I was all of a sudden sort of brought back into a much bigger story. I got out of my head, my little world that I was in, which enabled me to again be filled with enjoyment, wonder, anticipation, and believe it or not, peace. My life was again rejoined with the whole story, not just a small part of the story. It was as if peace wasn't just this little distribution of of a snack that I needed in that moment, but something much bigger, much more complete, much more whole. Peace isn't just a felt need. It's not just an impossible reality. It's not even just a word or concept. Peace is a person who's writing a story that we are invited to live into. In Advent, we rehearse this story every year, which brings us to the person of peace so that we can live into him and his story and then live out the story that God is writing for all of humanity. So what is that story? It goes a little something like this. The Prince of Peace came into the disordered and broken world. Where there was sickness, the Prince of Peace healed Where there was inequality, the Prince of Peace brought restoration of unity. Where there was confusion, the Prince of Peace brought clarity. Where there was weariness, the Prince of Peace brought rest. All signs of what was going to come and still is to come in fullness in his everlasting rule of shalom that Isaiah prophesies about in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. But perhaps most important for us is that the Prince of Peace came to make peace between the broken and needy humans and the Father. Colossians 1 explains this story really well, and I'd love to read it for us today as we consider on this story of Jesus himself. Picking up in verses 15 and going to verses 22, it says that he, again speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you 
who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let me be clear here that Jesus was our only hope and he did not disappoint us. There is no other way to be reconciled to the Father than through Christ himself and rejoined it to his family, Shalom. And the story of Advent is that Jesus came and he did exactly what he needed to do to bring peace to humanity. Praise God. And what he began, he's gonna soon finish. Revelation 21, six prophesies that God in the end will say, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That is the story of Advent that we tell every year. The peace of Jesus is a much bigger story that he's inviting us to live into, which means that we also have a part to play, and it takes practice, which is what we're going to conclude with talking about this morning. Peace is a need, peace is a word, peace is a person, and a story, and also a practice. Some of you might be thinking at this point, this is all great theory, appreciate it, good job, but here's the deal, I have a job that exhausts me every day. Or I'm in school and I'm just trying to keep up with my assignments. Or this is a hard time of year, I've recently lost a loved one, or I'm, I'm separated from my family, or I'm raising my family, I'm like just trying not to lose kids, or I'm aging and I'm not able to do what I was once able to do and the demands still seem to be there, or maybe just this year feels lonely. Maybe what I'm getting at is you might be asking the question, is there anything more that can help me in this season based on where I'm at? I need something practical to help me practice this. Once we're in Christ, the Prince of Peace shows us that he can bring peace wherever he rules. So that where Christ rules in our life, peace flows. However, we don't naturally let him rule in our lives. We have to practice this as his people. And it takes repetition. We have to do it over and over again. We have a saying at youth group we repeat often, which is we want to practice bringing all of who we are to all of who Jesus is. And so as I thought about the practical part of this morning, honestly, I really struggle because sometimes practices just get added to our already too long to-do lists. And let me just say that I think many of our to-do lists this season are already far too long. And so this practice is simple, and it's meant to be repeatable in many different contexts. And please forgive me, I wrestled so much, um, it wasn't until last night that I had this breakthrough, so we won't have it on the slide, but if you're taking notes or want to take notes, you can pull out your phone or a piece of paper to help you bring this into the week. And as you do that, consider the things that you're going to be doing this week. Maybe it's your commute. Maybe it's your trip to the grocery store. Maybe it's that Christmas shopping you're getting into, or the hallways in your school. Maybe spending time with your roommates. Maybe it's just the daily grind at your place of employment, or cleaning your house. The following practice will invite you to take a pause in the midst of that something, which maybe feels mundane or routine, and ask this. Jesus, I invite you here. Help me to see one What's the story of peace that's being written all around me? What's the story of peace that's written all around me? 
And two, what opportunities do I have to join you in your redemptive plan to bring the world back to wholeness? You're doing it, and I want to get in on it. I want to be a part of what you are up to in this world. And as we practice this, as we invite God into these spaces, into our lives, we're giving our souls the chance to live into the one who is peace and is bringing peace on earth because where Christ rules in our lives, his peace flows through our lives. And what could bring the father greater joy than to have his kids seek to know him and join him and become like him? So the worship team can come up as we conclude our time. And you might have noticed there's tables set up in the back. Um, before we go into this individual practice this week, we want to do uh, something called communion. That's a, a way for us as a body believers to practice uh, taking communion together. And one of the passages we read earlier was from Colossians 1:20 20 through 22 that I want to revisit, which reminds us that Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross. And it continues saying in verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So if you haven't already grabbed a cup, you can use this next song to be able to do that. If you're watching online, maybe you can use this time to grab whatever you have available so you too can partake together with us. And I'll come back up after this next song to give us further instruction for how we want to take communion together this morning. But take time to get into a space in your heart, in your mind during this next song to really seek Jesus and the significance of this meal that we celebrate together. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful for your peace, which you offer us through your body, through your blood, through your cross. God, that the story that you have been writing for all of human history, God, you invite us into. God, we're thankful for that invitation because we know we don't deserve it. We know we can't earn it on our own. And yet, Father, you graciously extend it to us. And so, Lord, we as your people, those who have received that gift, we remember the gift that you gave us of yourself, of your peace, of your redemption. And Lord, we want to spend this next song just practicing thankfulness as we prepare our hearts to receive. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.